It's Monday, April 1st, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Budapest, Hungary. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be looking specifically at Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 28. And this is what we see starting in Acts chapter 14, after Paul and Barnabas have have started on this first missionary journey. They've, They've gone to the Pisidia, and they've gone to Antioch, and now they are going to Iconium. And we start in verse 1 of chapter 14 when it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And then verse 8, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and, and Paul looked intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they were scarcely restrained, the people, from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium into Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed." Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples." Well, Paul and Barnabas were continuing their missionary journey, going wherever the Lord opened the door for effective ministry and gospel proclamation. We see in verse 1 that now in Iconium, the message of the gospel is spreading. 
But then comes the first waves of criticism. We see in this passage, Paul and Barnabas are effective witnesses who are tempted with criticism, starting in verse 1, going through verse 7, and then starting with verse 8, they're, they're heaped with praise. They're, they're acted like they're Greek gods. And then we see, starting in verse 19, the physical attack that comes upon the Apostle Paul. And yet, what we see throughout every single part of Acts chapter 14 is that they persevere. They have courage and they have conviction. We see in this passage through the lives of Paul and Barnabas five characteristics of an effective witness who follows Christ wholeheartedly. First, an effective witness is given spiritual gifts from the Lord. Verse 1 says that they spoke in such a way. Barnabas had been given the gift of encouragement. And Paul, obviously, if no one else in the Word of God had the gift of evangelism, Paul certainly had the gift of evangelism. And he had the, the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching. And beloved, we are all uniquely gifted for the task at hand. God has woven a tapestry of gifts among each and every one of us to be used in coordination for the spread of his fame and his glory. And so an effective witness is given spiritual gifts from the Lord. But then second, an effective witness is bold and daring in the face of great danger. Starting in verse 2, we, we see that there's great danger. In verse 3, we see that, that the Jews start to spread rumors and, and poison the minds of the hearers against Paul and Barnabas. Yet what happens? Paul and Barnabas grow in boldness and never take their eyes off the mission. They don't grow weak or compromise. They continue to preach the good news of the kingdom. You see, whether the world applauds us or attacks us, if they do not worship Jesus, they will die without real hope. Their approval or rejection of us has no bearing on our eternity or acceptance before God. So the question is, will we surrender our need to be loved in order to truly love the lost and to complete the task that we have been given? Are we willing to boldly serve the Lord without receiving the approval and applause of men? Are we willing to faithfully serve without even being noticed much at all? Jesus says this in Mark chapter 13, verses 11 through 13. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will be delivered over to brother and death over to death. And father his child and children rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul says to the church at Philippi in Philippians 3.8, For I am now seeking, for am I now seeking the approval of God or, or of man? Am I, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let us not fear the disapproval or rejection of man, but continue to serve him faithfully. Oh, verse 3, Paul and Barnabas were bold and daring and never stopped preaching the gospel, even in the face of imminent danger. Oh, we see an effective witness is bold and daring in the face of danger. But then third, an effective witness is humble in the light of God's sovereignty. Oh, we see the apostles Barnabas and Paul come to the town of Lystra. And Lystra was predominantly Greek with no Jewish synagogue. How do we know that? Well, in every place that Paul and Barnabas would go, they would look for a synagogue. And, and it took at least 10 prominent believing Jews to make a synagogue. And none is mentioned in Lystra. Instead, the people were, were steeped in mythology and bestowed a great honor on Paul and Barnabas by calling them God. Paul and Barnabas so loved the gospel and God's glory that it pained them that the message could even be slightly de delayed or diluted. 
With the opportunity to be seen as a hero, Paul and Barnabas not only refuse to be exalted, but they are humiliated at the thought that they would be exalted. Verse 14, they tear their clothes, which we know is a sign of repentance and brokenness before God. To Paul and Barnabas, the allure of human approval and the acceptance, esteem, and intense admiration of the crowd seem more dangerous than, than alluring and more of a threat than the temptation of, of, of having people persecute them. They confronted the people with a brave call to worship the living God and live. And even after a passionate call from the people not to worship man, but to worship God, it says in Acts chapter 14, verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. The world would say that the greatest is the most exalted. But Jesus says that the greatest is the servant and the greatest is the one who helps one of these little children. Let us humble ourselves today and care for the poor, the needy, the outcast, and the orphan. Let us humble ourselves and sacrifice our pride, our possessions, and our schedules to take the gospel to the nations. You see, an effective witness is humble in the light of God's sovereignty. But then fourth, an effective witness perseveres even through the greatest of trials. You see, the Jews were, were following, trying by all means to snuff out the gospel, to kill Paul, and, and they hoped to kill and destroy the gospel message. But Paul could not be stopped because he lived for Christ and not for the things of this world. He looks in the face of even death and says, what's the worst they can do, kill me? After being knocked unconscious, almost to the point of death, Paul doesn't leave and head home. No, instead he goes back to the cities where they were persecuting him and preaches for the sake, the name, and the glory of God. Beloved, do we give up easily for the witness of Christ? How much are we willing to endure? When we follow Christ in faith, you know he indwells us with remarkable boldness. That's why Jesus says in Mark 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Paul says to the church at Galatians, Galatians 1, 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The work we can do can be hard. Adoption, beloved, can be difficult. Foster care at times can feel impossible. But we could never endure more than our Savior endured at the cross. He took our sin and our shame and gave up his righteousness and his power to endure all for the glory of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 118, 6-14, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord Yahweh is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They, they went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Oh, beloved, an effective witness perseveres even through the greatest of trials. And beloved, our God will give us strength to endure the attacks of our adversary. These, those attacks that attack our mind, our pride, and our flesh. Oh, and Paul tells the church in Romans, in Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Beloved, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and we can be an effective witness who perseveres even through the greatest of, of trials. But then last, the last characteristic we see of an effective witness is five. An effective witness is committed to fulfill the Great Commission. Paul and Barnabas, on their way back home, tired and weary, go, awence, go once again to Perga, where they had been met with hard and cold hearts. They're committed to the gospel, and they're so committed that they truly want all to hear and continually have an opportunity to respond. Beloved, do we have that same courage and boldness in our daddy to the point that we are an effective witness for his name to the nations? We don't have a superficial religion, but a relationship with a sovereign Savior who sees our work as filthy rags, but will indwell us with his spirit to the ends of the world. Pastor David Platt says in his book, Follow Me, the fruit of following Jesus is a new heart with a new mind, new desires, a new will, a new way of relating to people around you, and a new purpose. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of man. This is not some solicitation to tread on oath of superficial religion. This is an invitation to taste the pleasure that can only be found in the supernatural relationship with Jesus. He beckons you to let your heart be captivated by his greatness and your life to be changed by his grace. Turn from your sin and yourself and trust Trust in him as the all-sovereign, all-satisfying Savior of your soul. You see, responding to the call of the gospel in our lives should give us great courage and effective witness to follow the commands and examples of Jesus, even against the face of great adversity. Beloved, we need courage. Most of us will not be stoned for our faith. The worst that might happen is that people would say something mean to us or, or that people wouldn't understand us or what we do or that they'd say something rude about us on social media. However, if we follow the commands of Christ, there is a cost, but there's an even greater a reward. So in closing, let's look at, at Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, so that we can see where we find the courage in the Lord, the courage which can bring tremendous boldness, because we need to be bold as we face a world of increased hostility and complacent theology and increased secularization. This is what Paul says to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 33. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment. How inscrutable his ways. For who is not on the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, there are three things that anchor our courage and conviction to follow the Lord Jesus. Jesus, wherever he may go. The first is the Lord our God is above all things. Yahweh is huge and awesome God. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. 
1 Chronicles 29, 11, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Oh, we have great confidence because we serve a God that is above all things and is sovereignly in control of all things. Oh, beloved, we do not have to, to bow down to any ruler on this earth. We bow down to one, and that is Christ Jesus, our Lord, who is above all things. But that brings us to the second truth we see is that the Lord owns all things. Deuteronomy 10, 14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong the heaven and the highest of heavens, the earth and all that is in them. God has the wealth of the universe. He is huge and rich and in control. He has never stifled or need of resources. God can create anything he needs out of nothing. He can't bounce checks. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands about how to supply this mission. He can create more than of anything, and there's no capacity to his wealth or his riches. I love the, the sarcasm in verse 35. Who has given God a gift that he might be repaid? And then Psalm 50, it says, Who would dare but give God lunch as if he couldn't create his own lunch? And we are co-heirs of Christ through the blood of Christ alone, through faith alone. And this is not of our own works, lest any of us should boast. We are the adopted children of God, and our daddy owns it all. And so we have courage to risk everything that we have because we have confidence that the Lord will give us everything that we need. But third, and lastly, the last thing we see that, that fuels our confidence and fuels our courage to go to the ends of the earth for our Lord is that the Lord our God is in complete control of all things. Verse 36, for, for him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory. We see that when we follow him, we aren't following superficial courage or superficial religion. We don't base our faith on our own merit, on our own works, but on our great spellbounding and all-consuming work of our daddy. Paul understood who his daddy was. He was confident of him. You hear Paul saying throughout his letters, Have you seen our dad? You think I'm nervous? No way. Have you seen who our dad is? This is why Paul was so hard to discourage. He would say, well, my daddy can best definitely beat up your daddy. This confidence was, was made possible that was was made it possible to, impossible to defeat Paul, right, for the opponents of the gospel. If, if they were going to try to defeat Paul, they'd say, well, we're going to throw you into prison. But Paul would say, well, I'll convert all your guards. They'd say, we're going to torture you. He'd say, okay, well, I don't consider the sufferings of this present time as worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us in the surpassing glory of Christ Jesus. And then they say, well, we're going to let you live. And he'd say, okay, well, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then they're going to say, well, we're going to kill you. And he said, I already said it's great gain. Paul was impossible to deal with because he knew the all-surpassing greatness of his daddy, his Abba Father. And you see, when we follow Christ, we get God. He is our inheritance, and that should give us great courage. We serve him not to earn our faith, but because through our faith, we earn a great God. We follow him to the ends of the earth. Everything we experience here is worth it. We are rich in Christ, so we persevere in whatever the Lord calls us to do. And we don't wring our hands in fear because we know who our Father is. Oh, consider what God knows that we don't. He never stresses out. The glory of our great God is spellbounding. And our God... Beloved is beckoning us to be an effective witness, to follow him to the ends of the earth with great courage while being keenly aware of the attacks of criticism, the attacks of praise, and the attacks of physical, to our physical detriment. Well, this week we are praying for the country of Ethiopia. 
We're praying for the country as they are reevaluating adoption laws and intercountry adoption. We're praying for the Ethiopian government to find an ethical solution for children in need of care. We're praying for our unadopted opportunities with local churches, evangelical churches in Ethiopia. We're praying for the Departments of State's commitment to continued conversations with the Ethiopian government. We're praying for families in post-adoption for their adjustment period and their transition to new family dynamics. We're, we're praying that attachment will grow within these families and that they are able to implement the trainings that they've experienced in their daily lives. And we're praising the Lord for all the children that have come home in the last years uh, after very, very long waits uh, for their forever families from Ethiopia. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to work with Ethiopia and the children in Ethiopia. We pray for these children and that an ethical way would be found and an ethical solution for these children that are in need. We pray for the opportunities that we have, even now in Addis, to, to show the gospel through the local church to children who are cramped into orphanages there in the capital city. We pray for post-adoption families who are adjusting from their time, uh, from their child's time in, in Ethiopia. And we pray that you would surround these families and give them grace and, and help these trainings that they've experienced to be recalled and, and to, to be used to help them disciple the hearts of their children. And we're praising you for all the children that have come home through long waits and treacherous processes in order to be home to their forever families. Lord, would you make a way in Ethiopia once again for adoption that can be ethical and that can be in the best interest of children to happen. Lord, we just also, in the meantime, ask that you would prepare and equip your church to reach out to the orphans that are in need there in Ethiopia. And Lord, we entrust these children and we entrust this process to you, a great, a holy, and an awesome God. In whose name we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Will you take a moment today to rate us on your favorite podcast listing app, be that the iTunes app, uh, the podcast app on iTunes, or another favorite uh, listing app. Uh, your ratings help the podcast, the Defender podcast, to be seen by others and, and to climb up into visibility in the podcast. It also just helps us know that you're listening and that you're enjoying the content. So please take the moment right now to rate us on your favorite podcast listing app. And then also please send us a line at info at lifelinechild.org. And let us know how you're enjoying the Defender Podcast. Maybe some topics you'd like to hear or guests you'd like for us to interview. We want to hear from you at info at lifelinechild.org. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.